Völker werden in kurzer Zeit erkennen, dass das nationalsozialistische Deutschland keine Feindschaft mit anderen Völkern will. Ich will heute wieder ein Prophet sein. Wenn es dem internationalen Finanzjudentum in und außerhalb Europas gelingen sollte, die Völker noch einmal in einen Weltkrieg zu stürzen, dann wird das Ergebnis nicht die Bolschewisierung der Erde und damit der Sieg des Judentums sein, sondern die Vernichtung der jüdischen Rasse in Europa. Tonight, I've come to this place where it all began to speak as plainly as I can to the nation about the threats we face, about the power we have in our own hands to meet these threats, and about the incredible future that lies in front of us if only we choose it. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. That's why tonight, I'm asking our nation to come together, unite behind the single purpose of defending our democracy, regardless of your ideology. Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast, episode 55. David Penn here. I hope you're well. Good evening to you. Uh, started out with a very interesting cold open, and... Uh, Not a lot person can say to embellish these two cold opens in juxtaposition to each other. I just want to say to those who are watching me who wish me ill, I'm a Jewish man talking about Nazis. How can you get on the other side of that? So let's keep it real, okay? We're talking about a philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior, and all the forms that that philosophy can morph into and disguise itself in a way that it's very difficult to understand it or see it. But play those cold opens back to back and steep yourself in history and get a feel for what's going on. Let's talk about things historically, as if history was right now, because it is. I've said this before, and I want to say it one more time. Part of coming from a very ancient cultural tradition, something that's almost 6,000 years old, those kind of traditions want to maintain certain events in the mind, in the consciousness 
of each successive generation such that those events would not be forgotten. And there are rituals in these traditional cultures which create a kind of timelessness, as if I was there myself. So, for example, it's very easy for me to see myself in Nazi Germany in 1933 as a young Jewish man sitting in a beautiful cafe on a street corner outside, sipping coffee and smoking cigarettes with my two best Jewish friends, Rob and Scott. And we're having a conversation about what's going on. And I'm the radical one. I'm the one that's saying, whoa, they're going to kill me, and they're going to kill us. We better get serious about this. And, of course, Rob and Scott, they're very successful business people. They have lots of money. They're very involved in the society. They have lots of friends. They don't really feel that they're under threat. They just know that their friend, you know, David, is a little bit wild. They like me. They like hanging around with me, but they think I'm a little wild in the streets. They really don't believe in their heart of hearts that things are going to really get bad for the Jewish people in Germany. They think it's propaganda. They think it's just people talking, like politics, you know, like uh, like we saw in the cold open. And I finally said to my friends, Rob and Scott, I said, look, you know what? I'm getting out of here. And they said, how can you leave your business? What about all your friends, your family? I said, you know what? I'm going to take as many of my family with me as I can, but I'm getting out of here. And you know what? My grandchild is alive today in the United States. I emigrated maybe first to England, and then I made my way to Canada, and somehow I ended up in the United States. I made it. I made a good life for myself. I loved America. I enjoyed its freedoms and its rule of law. And my children had children, and life was good. And they were told about Robin Scott. I told, you know, I told my son, my son told my grandson. I knew how they died because they were gassed and killed, and all their family members were killed. And my children's children remember that. Maybe that's why I, as Professor Penn, have such a keen awareness. You know, last night, 2.30 in the morning, I woke up, my bed was drenched in sweat. I was having terrible night sweats. Why? Two reasons. One, I always sweat when the seasons change, and we're going into a seasonal change. I'm getting out the heat. I spend a lot of time outside. Good morning, Tanner. Good morning. I'm like you. I like to spend a lot of time outside in nature. I like that. I pick up a lot of heat. And it turned cool. It's every year it's the same thing. You notice that? The day the kids go back to school, every year the temperature drops 20 degrees. I've been watching this my whole life. Last week was 100 degrees. Last night it was 60. It was cold. So that's just the way it goes. I mean, that's the way we roll up here in Minnesota. And I get all this heat. I'm out every day at least two, three hours a day in the, in the, in the forest, and I have to get rid of that heat. As soon as it turns cold, it comes up. But the other reason why, I was sweating, is my goodness gracious, look what we're talking about here. Look at those cold opens. And I want to thank Free People Radio for giving me a chance to present these ideas. Free People Radio, please go to our our website. Please check out our other properties. Please call me crazy, Royce White. Royce is going to run for Senate here in Minnesota. We want to see him get endorsed as the Republican endorsed candidate for Senate in Minnesota. We're going to talk about that a lot. We're a political broadcast. 
We're not kidding about it. We're not hiding it. We have an agenda. And the agenda is maintaining the nation, the United States of America. And the reason why is we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is worth getting down. This is worth protecting. We are going to preserve, we are going to conserve, we are going to maintain eternal truths. We are not going to let them get eroded by what they call progressivism or liberalism or communism or socialism or Nazism. We're not going to let them take away from us eternal truths that were given to us by our grandfathers. And we thank God for our grandfathers. Precinct Strategy. Go there, precinctstrategy.com. Dan Schultz is in Minnesota this week. We're going to spend time with him. We appreciate what Dan has done. He's left us a tutorial on how to get in the game of politics. We're going to talk a lot about that today. It's not as time-consuming as it sounds. We're going to make this so simple and so easy for every one of you to get a stake in the game. That if you don't do it, hey, if we don't do it, if the American people just decide that freedom and well-being is not worth their time, well then, hey, we voted and we get what we deserve, which is going to be slavery and death. Two choices, freedom and well-being, slavery and death. There isn't going to be any in-between down the road from here. Right now, it looks like there's an in-between. But that is a BS story. We are at the crossroads, freedom and well-being, slavery and death. And if we can't put 24 hours a year, and that's all I'm asking for, is 24 hours, one day of your life a year to maintain for your family, for yourself, for your parents and your children and your grandchildren, all your friends and family, and for the entire American community. If every American citizen does not have 24 hours a year to devote to maintaining well-being and freedom, well then, hey, we voted, we get what we deserve. We do a lot of uh, housekeeping here now. I'm already off, off time, and that's just the way it's going to be today because when I was in the shower getting ready to do this podcast this morning, I just got so much information and so many things I was thinking about. I thought, well, my whole script's going to go right down the, the crapper today because I had so many new ideas, and I want to share them. Uh, but I, I'm going to do a live read for TireGet.com because we are the patriot economy. We're truth media and the patriot economy working together. I am the owner of TireGet. I'm in the tire business. I'm in the politics business. I'm in two businesses. I'm in a being a father business. I have five kids. I play music. I'm a lifetime devotee of health and well-being. I, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, developed human being. I'm not proud of it. It's just a fact. It's not that I, I'm not doing it to show off. It's just who I am. I'm a faithful believer in the one true God. I'm not saying it to show off. It's just who I am. And I'm sharing it with you. That's what's beautiful about this media. I get to get to know you, but it's a very psychological process for all of us and for myself. At least that's what I'm trying to make it. And we got to pay the bills around here. And everybody buys tires. So let me do a one-minute live read about TireGet. 
TireGet is an online e-commerce tire store. TireGet has all the tires you need for any vehicle in your garage, parked out in front of your house, whatever you need, we got it. We feature American-made tires because we believe in the country, the United States of America. We've cut a deal with the major rubber companies so that you get the lowest possible price on the brands you know, the best quality product, and we'll handle your service needs. You can come to our site and we'll arrange for the installation of your tires. We will ship the tires to your local installer and you can buy the tires today and go have them put on tomorrow. And it's a cashless transaction at the installer. Just go up, your tires will be there and away you go. So it's the right price with the right service and you're funding the movement. You got to buy tires from someone. When you buy them from us, you're funding the freedom movement and we thank you for doing so. I had a revelation this morning about who are the real revolutionaries. Now, this isn't even on the script. So, you know, I'm really off, I'm off road today. Who are the real revolutionaries? What are we doing here? We got one group, which is the predominant group that believes in science because science brings us convenience and a little bit longer life. I mean, let's say that the lifespan of the human being was 35 or 40 years, 200 years ago. And if a guy lived to be 100 and he was up on the side of the mountain, they thought he was an immortal because he lived through three generations of everybody else dying at 30 years old. Very few people made it to 100. You know, that's just the way it was. Now we can get to our mid-70s. Oh, that's great. We get an extra double life. It's, it doubles our lifespan, right? So science is doing all that for us. That's a great contribution. But what the cost of that country, every benefit has a cost. And the cost has been death is not part of our daily life. People die in warehouses called hospices or senior living facilities. We do not see death. Death is pushed aside. We don't live in the real world. We, live, we think carrots come from the grocery store. We've kind of lost our sense of direction. We've lost our sense of direction. We've lost our sense of connection to the natural way. Who are the real revolutionaries? We've got this group of people that believe carrots come from the grocery store. We've got another group of people that know that there's a natural way. The science people way outnumber the traditionalists, the people like me that believe in God. Who are the real revolutionaries? The science people believe in survival of the fittest, in the origin of the species, as we've been talking about many times, Darwinism, Galtonianism, Spencerianism, Malthusianism, the British crown's description of life such that their business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy is scientifically validated. Oh, isn't that nice? Science proves. Science proves. Science. Have faith in the science. Have faith in the science. We hear it. And science has many benefits. So let us not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's realize that it's human beings that are perverse, not science. And then we have this faithful group that believe in God. What do we believe? We believe that we believe, we believe in God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might. And we wish to treat others 
as we want them to treat us. It's not survival of the fittest only. It's moderated by love one for another. These two ideologies are in juxtaposition and contradiction to each other. Who are the real revolutionaries? We had a Jewish rabbi named Jesus Christ who came onto this planet and started preaching the gospel of treating your neighbor as you wish to be treated. All he did was reduce the Jewish theology down to two commandments, two great commandments. And he said that if you have this faith, a spirit will live within you, a Holy Spirit will live within you. What he was doing was the very same thing that Rick Blaine did in Casablanca. He was showing us how to move from narcissism, where it's survival of the fittest, to move to altruism, where we care how we treat other people because we want to be treated with love also. This is an individual revolution. This idea of Christianity, of the Judeo-Christian roots of our culture, is an individual effort of self-governance. It's an individual commitment to self-governance. It is not a group program. Our salvation is individually derived, and we derive it by how we treat other people. Isn't that simple? Why is it so difficult to manifest this reality? And the reason why is they killed the Jews. The tie between traditional faith and God was severed in World War II. We saw Adolf Hitler addressed in the Reichstag, and he predicted that if the international Jewry caused the World War, the Jews of Europe would be destroyed, and that's exactly what happened. He accomplished his goal. We think that we in the West won World War II. We won a battle, but the war is ongoing between faith and faithlessness, between belief in God and scientism. What we are doing here on the Professor Penn Podcast, what I am trying to do with you, what I am doing in my own life, is developing my faith to realize that I have faith that couldn't provide for my well-being and the well-being of all the people around me. We are a faithful community of American citizens that care one for another. It's so simple. Self-govern your individual behavior and recognize, as I have, I have recognized that when I sin, that affects the entire world. My separation from faith affects the entire world. The closer I come to faith, I affect the entire world. This in Hebrew tradition is called tikkun olam, the repair of the world, that God is allowing man and woman by giving us free will to choose. Do we want to turn this into a heaven or into a hell? We have the power. God is, the people say, where is God? I can't see him. You know what? There'd be no free will. If God showed up in New York City tomorrow, everybody would believe because it'd be God showing up. That's not the test. The test is, will we believe in things unseen and manifest love one for another without God being here on the planet to show us directly? He's left it up to us to repair our relationships and to repair our world. And that's what we're arguing about, how to do it.
how to do it. And we have to remember that there are evil people that pervert this process, and they're way smarter than me, and I'm just waking up to their evils, and that's why I'm going to say, blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Evil men. Evil man. Let's talk about the Tulle Society. The Tulle Society. That's T-H-U-L-E. The Tulle Society. Tanner, can you play the uh, Hitler Oath piece that I've got as a clip right underneath the Tulle Society? So her head of state. Somebody was reading and we had to lift our arm and, and at the very end say, uh, that's my oath. And how seriously did you and your colleagues take this oath? Very serious. I mean, a soldier, uh, this accompanied my whole life till the very end. I mean, uh, oath is oath. There's no no doubt that I I can't break the oath, or otherwise I might commit suicide if I plan something else. But this 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 is very serious. The oath for a soldier. You know, I almost feel like asking uh, Tanner to play that again because this kind of oath, this kind of seriousness, it's not really a part of 2023 as far as what you and I see on a daily basis. Now, I've made no secret of the fact that I've been part of secret societies, and when you really give over to a secret society, whoa, that's a lifetime commitment. You don't give that up, and that's what that, uh, Nazi said, you know, he was being interviewed. He was dressed in a suit. You got a cutaway of him being dressed in a German uh, military uniform. But, you know, he was sitting there. He was an old man. He was, you know, he seemed like grandpa. Grandpa would cut your heart out in pursuit of the Aryan master race because he took a holy oath to do so, and he took it very seriously. If you go back and look at that clip, and I, you know, I'm always asking you to go back and look because you can do that. You can just scroll back and look. 
look at the power that was marshaled in pursuit of the master race. Well, how did that happen? Well, it came out of a long tradition, which we're going to talk about now for a while, a long history. But I want to talk about specifically just for a few minutes, for five minutes, about this Tool de Society. Because the Tool Society was a secret society that was created in 1918. It was founded by a very famous man named Walter Nauhaus. And the point of the Tool Society, among many goals, but their, their goal, their, where they wanted to get to was, this is right from Wikipedia, so please, if you're watching me and you're getting down on Professor Penn, you want to find a way to throw stones at me, hey, Wikipedia, you can go look it up for yourself. A primary, A, not the only, a primary focus of the Tudor Society was a claim concerning the origins of the Aryan race. In 1970, 1917, people who wanted to join this Germanic order, out of which the Tudor Society developed in 1918, had to sign a special, quote-unquote, blood declaration of faith concerning their lineage. And here's what they said. The signer hereby swears to the best of his knowledge and belief that no Jewish or colored blood, colored blood, because, you know, for these folks, Jews and blacks are the same people. That's, you know, that's why Royce White and I are going to start Hebrews. Because, hey, in, in the views of these folks, we're the same, so why not be Hebrews? No Jewish or colored blood flows in either his or in his wife's veins, and that among their ancestors there are no members of the colored races. That was their oath. They took a sacred oath. What were they trying to accomplish here? This was a group of people that believed in the science of eugenics. There had been a lot of scientific, pseudoscientific, and scientism research in the 1800s which tried to classify the different groups of people from the most developed to the least developed. And what these geniuses came up with was that the Aryan race, which was the Nordic people, the German people, were the top of the heap, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, Ubermenschen, were the leaders of the world race, and the bottom end were black people who they viewed like monkeys. That's not my words. That's their words. Let me be very clear about that. So they had a very hierarchical view of humanity. And because of Spencerianism and Galtonianism, they figured that Darwin's evolutionary process was defective. It needed a little help. And the way to help it was was to breed more Aryans and destroy the blacks and the Jews. How were they going to destroy them? Well, kill them. And we did that on the last podcast. We showed horrifying video of their very industrialized program of genocide. These people were not kidding around. They took a holy oath, which was based on the supremacy of the Aryan race, and they believed it. So what's the point of the oath? Where did these people go? I mean, hey, uh, my grandfather, I, play, I prayed with my grandfather, okay? 
I took a holy oath too. That would be to the one true God. I did. I was there from a you know young kid getting trained up in this secret society. I'm very trained in that secret society. I believe it. I want to pass it on to my kids and my grandchildren. I think it's valuable. Faith in God is valuable to me. And I've been in some other secret societies. And I want to pass those values and those skills down. And I'm sharing them with you because they're only a secret if I keep them to myself, right? I don't want that. You know, it'd be hilarious if I could teach, uh, you know, 400,000 people how to play the violin through digital means. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, there's a lot of things people can learn now that they never got a chance to even know existed. What we're getting a view into here with this society is that these people took a holy oath to the master race and they got, you know, into a war and they lost a battle. They didn't go away. This philosophy did not go away. Nazism as a political party went away. It was defeated. Germany was denazified by the conquering armies of the United States and England and France and the Soviet Union. They denazified Germany. And, you know, if you're following this Ukraine drama, which nothing has really changed, we're waiting for the, you know, we're getting down to the final curtain there. So we're just kind of squirreling around waiting for the truth to come out. Putin always talks about denazifying the Ukraine because there's a lot of Nazis in the Ukraine. They dress like Nazis. They act like Nazis. They say they're Nazis. That must mean they're Nazis. And why would that be? Because the Germanic peoples were spread out quite broadly uh, beyond the borders of traditional Germany. And one of the things that Hitler was doing at the beginning of World War II in the 1930s, his territorial claims that led to the beginning of the war was he wanted to reunify the German people that because of treaties and wars and, you know, workarounds and efforts to limit the strength of the German people, German populations were within other countries. So part of his modus operandi was to reunite the Germanic people because they were the master race after all. I mean, why would the master race want to be ruled over by Slavs who are way down the drain pipe? So this was a, a philosophy that held one race superior and everybody else inferior. A battle was lost. That was called World War II. But I played that piece with uh, Hitler at the beginning, uh, predicting the destruction of European Jewry, because that was his goal. The fact that the Germans lost the battle, hey, he had nothing but contempt for the German people at the end of the war because they were beaten. He never, he never viewed it in any other way than that was the way it was. They had the great struggle and they lost. But his primary aim, the destruction of European Jewry, was achieved. And what has that meant to the world since that time? We're going to think about that a little bit today. I'm way off script, but uh, we're talking about what they believed. What they believed. What are we, you know, the stuff gets so hidden in layers of deceit, trickery, camouflage. Then you just got the influence of technology on these philosophies. So as technology develops, the philosophies are altered. And then they're altered by facts on the grounds. Hey, the master race lost. 
lost the battle. The master race lost the battle. What does that mean? Must not be the master race because it got beat. So the philosophy underlying this whole Nazi political movement, this Spencerian and Galtonian treatment of Darwinism, that human beings can use scientism to evolve the species, it has morphed. It's morphing over time. We have to track that development, that evolution, and understand it. And that's what really, quite simply, the American people don't understand very well because they're hiding it from us. These Nazis, that Nazi philosophy, it's no longer called Nazism. Hey, that's very passe, right? Very passe. I mean, globalism, after all, is a bastion against Nazism, right? Isn't that, isn't that a funny story? But we have these, these scientism applications of Galtonianism, Galtonianism, which is eugenics and genocide, that have now spread out all over the world in all kinds of other means, all kinds of other medium, all kinds of other expressions. We've got to look for it. Now, you know, I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't want to get deplatformed. I want to stay here with you. I want to continue to talk to you, and we're going to talk as if this is an underground transmission. We're going to have to talk to each other in a way we understand each other, but we're going to color within the lines because we don't want to just get taken down. And I know there's people that are watching me because they take me down from time to time. And hey, guess what? They call me and tell me they want to clip me. So, you know, they know Professor Penn is here. They know we're working with Royce White. They know that we're on the move here in Minnesota. They know it. They know this is a national movement. They know the information that we share is just as relevant in Minneapolis as it is in Memphis. They know it. We have a national movement of freedom, of freedom. We just want freedom and human well-being. And I say to all the people that are hating me, who's going to get on the other side of freedom and human well-being? How can you have such terrible contempt for Professor Penn when all I'm seeking is human well-being, the health of your children, the well-being of your children? This is how intense this is, that the people of faith, and let's just get this on the table, because there's all this scholarly work about why the Jews were killed, why is there anti-Semitism, and the Jews are at the forefront of collecting all this information and talking about it. You know, they were from a different culture, they had a different language, they were good at money, they created, they, you know what, let's just get down to what it really is. And of course, they don't want to say this because they themselves don't believe in God. The people that are controlling this narrative, be them Jewish or not, we call them anti-Jews. They're not really believers. They're scientism people. Now, I'm not saying there aren't believers. But if you go online on YouTube and you look around, you're going to find Orthodox Jewish men with beards and hats talking about World War II being a punishment of the Jewish people for their sins. Hey, they don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear that God's hand was involved in it. In fact, in my own family, how could I be deplatformed for my own family history? My mother and father lost their faith because they lived through World War II. Their families were destroyed. 
They lived through this genocide, and they could not square the circle. How could a loving God allow his people, the Jewish people, to be destroyed like that? They just said, no, there's no God. Can't, cannot be a God. The evidence is the Holocaust. And this really spread out through the entire world Jewish community. Now, we had Bolshevism, Bolshevism and communism, and Jews were very involved in that because there had been a long history of Jews who did not believe in God. This goes, and I've said this, it goes all the way back to the Bible. You go look at the, go read Exodus, and we got the story of Dathan. And we had our non-believers all the way back to when God was uh, leading the charge with a big pillar of fire. I mean, right in front of his face, people were saying, we don't believe. But what they were really saying is, we want to go back to our life with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What people did not understand, and what people still do not understand, is that we as individuals, we are the seals that contain evil. We didn't understand that. Well, we're getting it now, aren't we? Look around. We, my generation, made choices that had never been made in world history. We said, hey, hey, sex before marriage, no problem. We let everything go. I mean, drugs, sex, rock and roll. And you know what? We have not yet as a people understood the implications of as individuals not having self-discipline or not having self-governance around these issues. And, you know, science is there. Oh, got a disease? No problem. We're going to fix you up. Picked up a case of syphilis? No problem. We're going to fix you up. Picked up a case of gonorrhea? No problem. We're going to fix you up. Oh, you got AIDS. Hey, you know, you don't have to die from that anymore. So science allowed us to sin and allowed us to act without traditional governance on our behavior. We don't even want to talk about it. There's going to be people in this audience probably never going to come back because I said that. But what I'm really saying is, is that when billions of people make choices that allow what has traditionally been viewed as illicit behavior to become legal behavior, we have a breakdown of society, which is exactly what's happening here. We have a breakdown of traditional society. Our society is being replaced by what? That's the question. It's not about your individual or my individual behavioral choices. It's about what those choices are leading to. How are our choices being manipulated by secret societies like the Tula Society, which are everywhere? There are secret societies everywhere looking at how humanity functions, changing human behavior, and then manipulating the population to achieve an outcome. And what is that outcome? Well, I know most of the people in this audience know what the outcome is. But what I am asking all of us to do, starting with myself, is to recognize that the solution to this is not some huge revolutionary movement of billions of people in mass. It's the behavioral choices of every single one of us individually that matter. That's what's going to win or lose this game. It's up to you and you, all the people I talk to in the live chat. It's up to us individually to make these choices. 
and it's not easy to give up the addiction to sin, which is sin, sin, okay, sin. People say, okay, great, sin. I did something bad. Okay, great. Sin means the separation of man from God. We have a revolutionary who showed us and taught us how to pray such that we have a God within us to guide our behavior. And we're taught that that's a fairy tale. How are we taught that? Well, they don't teach that in seventh grade science. What they teach is Darwinism. So we have a philosophy of love being replaced by a philosophy of the strong shall dominate the weak. That's what Nazism was and is. It was a political philosophy which operationalized the obvious logical outcome that the strong is inherently and morally and philosophically due to dominate and control the planet. Now, if you're not part of the master race, or you're not sitting at the big boys' table, you know, the 100 billionaire club, let's call them. If you're not at that big boys' table, hey, guess what you are? You're data. Have you heard that before? Does your generation know that you're data? Yeah, it's like most prevalent for us because we are living on our phones and everything's tracking us. So, yes. And you know it. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Oh, I don't know, but I don't think anybody likes it. I don't think there's a single person that says, I love that I'm being tracked and my data is being kept. I bet you. You know, one thing I want to tell you about my my young friend Tanner, who's my producer, he does a great job, really does a great job. I really appreciate what he does for my podcast and for Free People Radio. On Saturday, sometimes Professor Penn will have an idea, and I'll text Tanner, and he doesn't text me back immediately because like all the other people in my career, hey, I don't want to be funny about this, but, you know, I'm in a group of people. We're players. We're playing, and everybody's in instant communication all the time. Tanner can be an example to all of us, or like Mrs. Professor Penn. She just turns her phone off. When Tanner goes out in nature on the weekends, he's offline. He's mastering something that I don't have as my skill. I'm always in the game. Mr. Professor Penn is saying, hey, come on, don't you want to go offline sometime? What's wrong with you? Well, I'm trying to explain to her, we're in a war. That's how I view it. And why? Because I remember sitting in that cafe with Rob and Scott drinking coffee before they killed everybody. I can remember it. I hear the screams of my relatives. I saw the faces of my relatives that survived and were the walking dead with the tattoos on their arms. And they were nice enough to tell me stories. Or like my brother Aaron. I really didn't get into it last time. I talked about my friend Aaron from Canada. Uh, You know, I I called it affectionately. You know, both me and Aaron, we both have post-traumatic stress disorder because we both have very similar experiences. He knows what happened to his father. He knows what happened to his family. He, his father lived through, but his father told him how his first wife was killed before his eyes. He told Aaron how his half-sister was killed by the locals. You know, not by the Nazis, not by German Aryans, 
not by Germanic Nazis wearing, you know, German uniforms. No, it was the locals that did the job because the locals got in on it. Because, hey, guess what? Jew killing was good. They were in the Jew killing business, and business was good. And What were they doing? What was going on here? Let's get past all the hype. I'm going to circle back and say, well, all the hype about this is developed by scholars that, in Professor Penn's opinion, only have half the story. Everything they say is valid. But it's very surface level. Let's go down one floor. Let's go down the rabbit hole back to the time when Rome conquered Israel, which meant they conquered the Jewish people. And guess what happened? They recognized, because they took a lot of Jewish women and slaves back up into Rome, and of course when you get hanging around with your concubine or your slave, you might have a conversation with them. And what these Romans recognized was that organizing your military around one god was very efficient as compared to with having a pantheon of gods. And that's how the Romans moved from their pantheon of gods to being the Holy Roman Empire. They became a Christian empire. Oh, well, I want you to think what that was like if you were a German tribe in Germania. And here rolls in the Romans carrying the cross and you're a nature religionist, and you have a pantheon of gods, and they defeat you. They beat you with a superior military force, and they subordinate you because, you know, Christianity was but a flag that they wrapped themselves in, like so many of our current 501c3 Christians. You know, they're Christians in name only, chinos. When it really comes down to it, that great passage in Matthew where Christ said, those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life in my name shall find it. Hey, that's a pretty strong brew for the majority of folks. Really, they just want to pile up the filthy lucre in the bank and earn interest, or as Mrs. Professor Penn calls it, she likes to earn sleeping money. Well, great. That's fantastic that people think that way. But that, that philosophy, that philosophy is not really the Judeo-Christian idea. It's just not. We are not a materialist-only group of people. We want to have balance between the spiritual and material. Think of the cross one way and the other way. It's a symbol of balance. It's a symbol of balance. Now, people don't talk about it like that, but that's what it is. It's a symbol of balance. And these poor Germanic people and all the people of Europe were conquered by the quote-unquote Holy Roman Empire, which wasn't holy. And they were subjugated, and they were given a choice. Convert or die. Well, guess what happened? A lot of them died. They just died. They said, you know what? We're not giving up the old ways. Screw you. You notice you didn't have to bleep that. I almost let it out. Because that was their sentiment, right? That was their sentiment. Their sentiment was, bleep you. And they got killed. They were killed by the Holy Roman Empire. What did the rest of them do? Well, some of them became Christians. And you know, if you go back in the history of Germany, where did the Protestant Reformation come from? Where was the pushback against the Roman Empire? 
came right out of Germany because they did not appreciate being conquered and forced to submit. Some of these people formed secret underground societies where they maintained the old ways secretly. Secret societies, like the Tulle Society. The Tulle Society was a secret society aimed at maintaining the old ways of the Aryan or the Nordic peoples. These people were not Christians, okay? They were not Christians. It's a very anti-Christian concept to say we hold one race superior and another inferior. That's anti-Christian. Let's just get that right. So, what these people believed, what these people believed is in a non-Judeo-Christian organization of the world. It was a non-Judeo-Christian organization. And so it was very natural for these folks to develop the idea of science. It was very natural. First of all, look where science came from. England and Germany, the two leaders of the scientific revolution. France was in there, but they fell behind. It was really the Germans and the English. They were the progenitors of the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution. And still to this day, these countries, these are the Western countries, what we would call the globalists, are the leaders in the scientific method, in scientism, and the fruits of scientism, which is militarism and medicine. And we see the Asian cultures, you know, like the Chinese, they're trying to catch up. They viewed their traditional period where they were not militarized, where they had not mastered science, as a period of humiliation because the colonial powers came into their countries and used militarism, the fruits of scientism, to conquer and colonize these countries. The United States of America and the United Nations used the fruits of scientism, militarism, to conquer the Nazis and to conquer the Japanese Empire. But, you know, when, when there's a battle and we say, oh, the war was won, that's a scam. These wars are not won or lost. Battles are won or lost. The war is inside of me. It's between my ears. The real war the one that we must win as the American people is what we think and feel. That's what the real war is. Am I going to say I'm a Christian, but if I get a chance, dominate you because I'm stronger than you and I can? That makes me an anti-Christian. If I'm going to be a Judeo-Christian follower, and why I say Judeo-Christian is because I was born Jewish, and was baptized in 1989. So as I've said before, I have both books. I understand, I've spent a lot of my life trying to understand both philosophies, and I'm still learning about it. I'm still learning about it. Just this morning I realized, just this morning I realized that the real revolutionary, the real revolutionary was a rabbi who said that the Holy Spirit or that God's Spirit could live within me. That was a novel idea. Nobody had said that before. In the Jewish tradition, you needed 10 men praying together. It was a tribal religion, and it was about the 
tribe. It was about the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a communal, ethno-nationalist political strategy. No different in some respects. Oh, got to be careful. Not going to go there. Fill in the blanks for yourself. I don't want to get deplatformed. But it was an ethno-nationalist tribal warrior religion. That's what Judaism was. And when it was defeated by the Romans, they had to reformulate how they were going to go forward. They wanted to maintain those ideas, but they were no longer a winning team. They had been defeated. So a rabbi came and said, I'll give you a comforter. This idea, this God consciousness will live with inside you. And it was powerful enough that the ideas became Christendom. But again, it wasn't a war that was won or lost. It was a battle. And Christendom was used by the Romans to subjugate Europe, and they were brutal about it. And these secret societies, these underground societies that maintain these pagan traditions of the European nature religions underlie and were part of and were the driving force that led to the Nazi party through many secret societies, the Tool Society just being the most famous of them. Covered a lot of ground. It's complicated. I'm going to understand more, and the clearer I get about it, I'm going to share it with you. I hope I'm... Am I saying this in a way that it's intelligible? I'm falling. Are you? Yeah. Because it's really complicated stuff. It's historical. It's philosophical. It's religious. But what we're trying to do is distill this down to what really is going on. Like, check out the real situation. And here's the real situation. There's a lot of reason why Jews say Jews were killed. There's a lot of reasons why Jews say there's anti-Semitism. But seldom do I hear a Jew stand up and say Jews were killed because they believed in God. I'm going to say it. The reason the Jews were killed is because they believed in God in a way that was different than the nature religions of Europe. The Jews were killed in Europe because they believed. Now, there was many other reasons, but I'm going to put out as the Professor Penn hypothesis of the day. My working theory that I'm going to work on going forward is the Jews were killed because they believed in God. And coming from that secret society, anybody can say anything they want to me about, you know, the Jews killed Christ and this and that. Yeah, all true. Not arguing. But I grew up in that society, and I know that the Jews that maintained their faith actually believed in the same God that Christ did. They just missed the good word. And let's be patient with these people because God's not through with anybody yet, okay? I am a religious Jew that was baptized. So, you know, this is an ongoing process. We don't have clear endings and beginnings. It's a process. We're in the past, we're in the future, we're in the present, all at one time. We are trapped in a prison of time and space that has been constructed for us by the true evil masters of humanity. We're in a timeless, spaceless environment. We're in a multiverse. Study your physics, please. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a movie. You know, Christopher Walken, study your math, kids. I'm going to play that. You'll get it. You'll laugh. 
Anyhow, the Jews were killed in part because they believed in a God that had subjugated the Germanic and the Northern European peoples. That's what it is. Who now, in 2023, are the Jews? Who believes in God now? If my theory is correct, that these secret oaths and these secret societies play forward into the future and go back into the past, and it's a war of ideas inside of our head between our ears, who is in the batter's box today? Go back and look at the cold open. I've laid it out for you. I do not want to get deplatformed. I'm talking to you as if I'm in the French underground. We are an underground movement telling the truth, and we're doing it in a way that we're not going to get shut down. I'm a Jewish man talking about Nazis, okay? You can't shut me down. If you shut me down, a Jewish man talking about Nazi tyranny and the destruction of the Jewish people, oh, who are you? Kind of got him, don't we? It's kind of like Royce White talking about, uh, you know, the black bourgeoisie. It's kind of hard for them to shut Royce down because he's a black man talking about things that I couldn't talk about. I couldn't talk about it. I would get deplatformed. But Royce seems to have found a niche, and he's taught this to me, and I like this niche because we're telling the truth in a way that fits in with the global narrative. We're all against Nazism, after all, aren't we? Is anybody on the... Do you know anybody on the Nazi side? No. I mean, personally. Personally, no. No, me neither. Now, we see them on the news. They're out there. But I've never met a Nazi. But I've met plenty of people that are Nazis between their ears, and they just don't know it. They don't know it. They don't know that they're eugenicists and genocidal maniacs. They don't know it. They just don't know it. That's why we're doing the podcast, because maybe there's somebody in the live chat today that's going to jump up and say, I never thought about my beliefs that way. That's why we're doing this, because this is an individual effort, one person at a time. We're going to make it or break it based on the efforts of individuals, not on some kind of groupist cultish thing. That's not going to work. Let's, let, let's get into some of that historical in the United States stuff, because we've had some groupus and cultish things that haven't worked, and they were so close to working. Let's get it right this time. Let's talk about nationalism. Can you play this um, clip, nationalism, uh, with uh, Charles uh, Coughlin, Father Coughlin? There is written in the Constitution of the United States that Congress has the right to coin, issue, and regulate the value of money. That's good Americanism, and it's good enough for me. Every politician today in the Democratic or Republican ranks who sits upon one of the thrones of the mighty doesn't believe in that part of the Constitution. They don't want to believe in that part of the Constitution. They believe that the Federal Reserve Bank has the right to coin and regulate the value of money. They're not even Americans, these so-called Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. 
And so, Mr. Roosevelt, who was very loquacious in 1933 about driving the money changers out of the temple, is now bent upon another policy. I think driving the workmen out of decent annual wages. As I come before you today, I wish to leave this thought with you, that in each congressional district here in Illinois, we will endorse a candidate who can rise above his party and puts patriotism first. He may be a Democrat or a Republican or whatnot, but we're through with a sham battle of politicians, and now we're on our own. Therefore, under your congressional district presidents, form your battalions, take up the shield of your defense, unsheathe the sword of your truth, and carry on in Illinois so that the communists on the one hand, cannot scourge us, and that the modern capitalists on the other cannot plague us. <laughs> Watch it again. We don't have time to play it again. But come on. That is as appropriate today as it was in the middle 1930s when Father Coughlin, the first social media superstar of politics, had a following of 80 million people and, you know, the population of the country was, you know, half of what it is today. This guy was a rock star. And look at his story. The sham battle of politicians. Hey, the uni party. They've had it for a long time. For those of us who think that there's clear ends and clear beginnings in world history, hey, nothing's changed. It hasn't changed. He's talking about the precinct strategy. He's saying, come on, let's, let's nominate politicians that put America first. You know, it's like a theme song for where we're at today. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why didn't it work? And it didn't work because he was a virulent anti-Semite and racist. He had not evolved. He was an Irish Catholic priest. He was caught up in that time. There were thought forms and philosophies of that time which trapped him and his anti-Semitism was used to utterly and completely discredit him because the Nazis rose, rose up and they started killing Jews and it made him look like a Nazi. He wasn't a Nazi. He was just not developed in the area of anti-Semitism and racism. He just had not, he had just not taken the nasty plunge, so to speak. He still believed in a hierarchy of races. But his political ideas, his political presentation, the way he spoke about things was very relevant. It's tragic to me as a 2023 American political operative that he was discredited so easily. In fact, he was deplatformed. He was the first one to use social media, and he was the first major deplatforming. President Roosevelt shut his ass down, and he was completely taken out of the scene. And because he had aligned himself with an anti-Jewish sentiment, when the Nazis came to power, he was cooked. Okay, that's why I say 
If you're an anti-Semite, if you're a racist, if you're a xenophobe or a homophobe, get out of the Republican Party. Get out before we take you out, because we're going to take you out, right? The American Nazi Party's right down the block. There's Nazis on TV. Doesn't it look nice to you? Go over there. You know, what really pissed me off about these Nazis that I saw this week, they're cut-rate Nazis. You look at the Nazis from the 30s and 40s. I mean, these people were dressed sensationally. They looked good. They were scary-looking. Now we got a group of Nazis wearing masks dressed up like cartoon characters. Go join these people, give them some money, and get them some nice costumes, would you? Because this is just embarrassing. I say this very seriously. I know who some of you are in Minnesota. Get out of the Republican Party consensually. Don't ruin the people's movement because the people are going to take you out very shortly. Anyhow, why don't you just get out right now? Make it easy on yourself. Because, you know, a political fight is quite involved. And since you're going to lose, make it easy on everybody. Do something nice. Do something nice. It's the end of your life anyhow. Why do you want to go out on a, on a, on a shield? I, I mean a metaphorical shield, of course. So Father Coughlin had it nailed other than the anti-Semitic racist elements of his presentation. We're not making that mistake. We are not making that mistake. We are an American community. We are one people that are connected. We don't hold one race superior and another inferior. We have this beautiful, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I mean, it's, it's baked right in the cake, right at the cornerstone, right at the cornerstone. So we are a self-correcting group of people seeking a more perfect union, and it's time to move forward and understand what the game is. What are we doing here? What are we fighting? What are we fighting for? As I said, it's two paths. There's faith and freedom or slavery and death. Well, let me prove it to you. Can you play this clip for 4 minutes and 17 seconds on surveillance? Our first story is about China, the country that time and again has been slammed for its mass surveillance program. It uses a combination of high-tech tools to spy on people. And now, worryingly, it is expanding its surveillance mechanism. Watch our report. China is the quintessential surveillance state, infamous for its mass surveillance system. The Chinese Communist Party relies on CCTV cameras, big data, artificial intelligence and other new age technologies to track citizens and study their behavior. The purpose? To exercise control and prevent any brewing dissent. Now, one of China's largest provinces, Henan, has come up with a new plan. Security officials in Henan have commissioned a surveillance system to track journalists and international students. According to a tender document published in July on the Henan Provincial Government's procurement website, 
There are detailed plans for deploying a comprehensive surveillance system. This included using 3,000 facial recognition cameras that connect to various national and regional databases. These cameras can compile individual files on anyone considered to be a person of interest in Henan. The document further specifies that cameras must be able to build a relatively accurate file for individuals whose faces are partially covered by a mask or glasses. And those targeted must be searchable on the database by simply uploading a picture or searching their facial attributes. It also mentions that journalists will be divided into three categories – red, yellow, green in decreasing order of risk. According to the tender, warnings will be set off if a journalist in Henan registers into a hotel, buys a ticket or crosses the provincial border. The tender also specifies that the system should be able to track the movements of international students through methods such as mobile phone positioning and travel bookings, particularly during key dates such as the country's national day or annual session of parliament. Another category of people it wants to track are women from neighboring countries that are illegal residents. At least 2,000 officials and police personnel will be used for the functioning of this comprehensive system of snooping. The public cannot access this 200-page controversial document. According to a Reuters report, a contract worth $782,000 has been given to Newsoft, a Chinese tech company, to implement this project. US-based surveillance research firm IPVM which has closely tracked the network's expansion and first identified the Henan document, says China building a custom security technology to streamline state suppression. Security experts believe that China is trying to build the world's most sophisticated surveillance technology networks. To achieve so, it's installing millions of cameras in public places. It's encouraging the use of techniques such as smartphone monitoring and facial recognition. Once again, China shows the world how power can be misused and technology abused. Thank you, Tanner. Well, I'm trying to uh, substantiate my claim it's uh, slavery and death or freedom and well-being. I mean, hey, you know, and I, I've got people that I know, Chinese people that say, hey, if you're not breaking any rules, why do you care? I mean, we follow the constitutional law. We don't care if we're tracked. We're not doing anything wrong. Interesting, isn't it? It's called walking into the prison cell and closing the door on yourself. But see, that doesn't work for me, and I hope it doesn't work for you. Because they're going to determine, and when I say they, come on, the, the Indian, that's an Indian news channel, they're doing the same thing in India. This is go what did you just say about data, Tanner? Your data's getting tracked? Yeah. What's the difference? Is there a difference? Not. I guess I've never thought of it. All they are is a step ahead with the facial recognition technology. But the collection of data on everything that I do and you do, 
that's worldwide now. It's a worldwide. We are data to our rulers. And what the Chinese are doing is because there's no pushback there, they're just getting this security surveillance state completely uh, rolled out. And actually, if you listen to Klaus Schwab, who is the leader of the WEF, the World Economic Forum, they view this as the world model for controlling the useless eaters. They don't want people to have the freedom of choice. Why? Because our choices are going to destroy the planet. We have to give up our freedom of movement because of global climate change. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how we how I am seeing now how this all fits together? And what we have to decide as the American people, because we still have a allegedly semi-functioning or an allegedly functioning or a functioning, please excuse me, please, the people that are watching me, don't take me down. We have a functioning republic, right? We still have elections. We still have elections. We can vote for candidates that do not want the imposition of a security state that want to roll back the security state that's here already. You know, I grew up before cell phones. I actually lived in a world before fax machines. I was born in a world with three black and white television stations. And, uh, you know, nobody knew where anybody was. I mean, I was almost born before police radios, but come on, let's not, let's not over-dramatize. I'm just saying there was a lot more freedom of movement, and freedom of movement is being fenced in. Uh, that's why we say on Tiregate.com, freedom of movement, because we want to maintain our freedom of movement. We want to maintain our freedom and our well-being. And these, this Chinese model, this Chinese model is the model, and what we're in here is a world endgame. It doesn't matter who the globalists are. They're fighting, okay? There's a jump ball amongst the globalists. There was a deal was put in place. We've talked about it. Royce talks about it a lot, that there was a deal put in place by Kissinger and Brzezinski and that whole crowd of, uh, you know, the Nixonian globalists, they put in a global vision in place. And this was the vision. The Europeans were dependent on the Americans. The Americans would police the world. The Chinese would build all the products for the world. They'd socialize the whole world because, you know, how can you have a sustainable economy if one group has more than another group? That would be called communism. Make everybody have the same thing, except a group of technocratic expert managers who ran the whole deal. A couple thousand people, the elites. And that was the deal. That was the deal. The Russians were involved. They were going to be the gas station for the world. The Saudis were involved. They were going to be the gas station for the world. They had the whole thing wired up, so it was going to work without any war. The United Nations regulated war the way the state of Minnesota regulates cigarettes. Nothing was going to get out of control ever again. No more world wars. That was the pitch. And then, after 30 or 40 years of this rolling along okay, they all double-crossed each other because it's like the five families of the mafia. They're working together, but who's the boss? Everybody wants to be the boss. So the Chinese pulled out and said, hey, we're doing our own thing. Screw you up yours. The Russians pulled out and said, hey, screw you up yours. We're doing our own thing. The Saudis pulled out. They said, up yours, screw you, we're doing our own thing. And all that's left is a big jump ball for who's in charge. And you're seeing all those wars and all those threats, 
And, you know, these people are going to take it right to the brink and over the brink into genocide if we, as individuals, do not stop them. Because they're playing a game that we're not in. We're not at the big boys' table. We're not sitting there with all the chips saying, hey, we're all in, do it our way, or we're going to let loose our nuclear weapons. We're not even part of the conversation unless we vote them sons of bitches out of power. You're going to take that one out? Yeah, you're going to bleep that one, huh? Um, I'm on the fence on this one. I'm on the fence. I'll leave it in your hands. See how it sounds, because these people suck, okay? These people don't care about my well-being or the well-being of my family or my children. They only care about this power game they're playing because they're in that Darwinian, Spencerian, Galtonian model of only the strong shall survive. They're playing that game. The strong shall dominate the weak. And they're ready for a throwdown. They really, nobody really knows who the strongest is. Isn't that interesting? You know, this is the worst kind of bar fight. When you go to the bar and you're 21 years old and a guy's uh, six foot seven, 240 pounds, in great shape, lean, can move, he's 21 years old, maybe just got done wrestling in college and he gets in an argument with a five foot nine, 160 pound dude, there's probably not going to be a fight. There's not going to be a fight because it would be a suicide mission, most likely, unless the little guy's Bruce Lee. That happens. I saw it many times. Okay? But most of the time, people self-organize. The problem comes when you get two guys standing next to each other, or two women, as the case may be, that seem similarly yoked in skill and size. Then someone might let slip the dogs of war just to see who's got the most will to win. And that's where we're at. That is where we're at on planet Earth right now. That's where we're at. That is where we're at. Because the people running the game have no faith. They do not want to treat me as they wish to be treated. Because when you have $100 billion, they got servants treating them. They're living in a bubble. So we have a problem right now. And the solution to that problem is self-governance. So we're going to end up here with a clip that can be pushed out all over social media about what the strategy is. What is really the strategy? When we come back to this, we talk about it. If you go to Royce's uh, social media, there's clips and shorts there. If you go to the Professor Penn podcast, social media, there's clips and shorts, one minute and five minute clips and shorts which my social media team is cutting up for your use. The first thing we're going to do is form an underground of people communicating with each other. You don't have to send out the whole podcast. It's just this part where we're going to take a minute and talk about Minnesota, which is the same as Kentucky, which is the same as Florida. This process is going on all over the country in some way, shape, and form. In every state, state by state, we need to form interstate networks of people that are communicating with each other so that people are connected and get a strategy and get a common idea about what we're doing and how we're doing. What are we doing? We are working politically to maintain human freedom and human well-being. We are opposing the people, whether they know it or not, and most of them don't either because they're dumb or they're in on it. You know, I don't know, and I don't care. They're into scientism, and they're into control, and they're 
path will lead to slavery and death. It's just that's what it is. We can see it, and we're going to talk about it. I was just looking in the newspaper, you know, here in Minnesota, euthanasia is pop, popping up, full, full tilt boogie. You know, doctors are going to make a choice to end people's lives. It's a slippery slope. You know, first it's euthanasia. Let's go back and look at Nazi Germany. They had a program of euthanasia. That was the step. Start clipping out the, un, the incapable, the people that are costing society money. Clip them out. Hey, after all, we're doing humanity a service, and we're helping them too. They really don't want to be alive. In other words, this is man doing God's work. Man doing God's work. Man appearing to be God, the master of life and death. Okay, once you've gone down that road, it's a slippery slope to slavery and death. Those are the people that have a political ideology. We know what it is. We have our own ideology. We have an ideology of a nation-state called the United States of America. Borders create limited ambitions. We want every policy to be for the well-being of the American people. We're not interested in militarism. We're not interested in big data or surveillance states. We don't believe people need to be controlled. We don't believe all these narratives. We think they're scams. So if you believe that, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit on the couch and piss and moan and get high and complain and say there's nothing I can do about it? Okay, you're out of the game. I'm talking to the people that want to give this a few hours of their time. You're already posting on social media, aren't you? Do you not post? Of course you do. Do you not you know, post on Facebook or X or, you know, all these different platforms? Yes, you do. You do. That's why you're watching the show. You're into it, just like I am. In Minnesota, we have a transformative nationalist senatorial candidate. His name is Royce White. He's a young man. He's 32 years old. He is going to declare and run for Senate in the next election cycle of 2024. He's going to declare as a Republican Party candidate. To become endorsed by the Republican Party is going to take a minimal amount of work. Now, nobody wants to be involved in the political parties because they suck, and they suck intentionally so that good people don't get involved. We talked about it a lot. I'm in the party. Most of the people that I deal with are okay, but there are some really, truly disgusting, horrifying people that make me want to take a bath after I spend time with them because I feel like I've been around evil, and when I'm around evil, I want to get baptized. So I use the water, wash their stink off of me. Who wants to do that? I mean, I don't want to do it. And I figured out a way that we don't have to do it. And there's nothing they can do about this but lose. If we do together as a family, as a community, what I'm going to ask us to do, which is first, get these social media networks set up. Go get these clips and shorts. We're going to push them out at you. You can go get them and post them. How are we going to win? How are we going to get Royce White endorsed? What are we trying to accomplish? Two things. Number one, we want to get Royce endorsed as the Republican Party candidate for Senate. And how we're going to do that is we're going to get delegates. And those same delegates now will have a seat at the table of the Republican Party, which means we can get rid of all the globalists and all the people that are leading us down to slavery and death. We can get rid of them, all the materialists. We can vote them out. 
The party is controlled. There's a uni party. Go back and look. One party. We have one party in this country. One party. Does not matter if we elect Democrats or Republicans. The result is the same. That's why a person like Tanner doesn't want to play. Because it doesn't matter, right? Am I right? Yeah. Pretty much? I, no, I'm, I'm trying to escape that mindset, but yeah. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. Hey, it's not irrational to look at the facts on the ground and say, it doesn't matter what I do. The result is the same. And that's because both parties are in on the same scientism game. They're both in on it. They're materialists. They only care about the money. We want to rebalance our country so that spirit and materialism are in their natural organization. We don't want to eliminate science or the scientific method. We want to subordinate it to the well-being of people. If science gives us a benefit, and we want to get serious about this, we want to really look at every scientific effort and decide if it's going to make people well. Because so much of what science is doing is aimed at research with no limit. When we have a nation, a nation with borders, those borders are a natural limit on our ambitions. We want to bring back our jobs. We don't want to have a globalized economy. We want to have a national economy. All this stuff is a scam. We're told it's the only way. There are problems so big that no one nation can solve it. BS, scam, the long con. Go back and look. We have podcast after podcast about the long con. First thing is get this group of communicators going, the underground, pushing out the content. Then we have a strategy. It's a very easy strategy. Get to know Royce White. He's an American citizen who wants America to be maintained as a nation state. If you believe in that, we need to get him endorsed as the Republican Party candidate. How do we do that? Caucus, first step, caucuses. Coming up, February 27th, 2024, two hours of your time. You go to your local high school or community center, wherever your caucus is. You go with your neighborhood. There's a neighborhood room. It's called your precinct. And in that room, run to become a precinct delegate. You are now a Royce White delegate. A couple weeks later, you're going to go to your Senate district convention where you'll have a vote and you'll vote for Senate district delegates. Those delegates are going to go to the state convention where Royce will be endorsed as the senatorial candidate of the Republican Party. It's very easy. We're talking about less than 24 hours of your time. You don't have to go out and knock on doors. You don't got to go to chicken wing parties. You don't got to lick envelopes. You don't got to donate money. You don't have to participate in the function of the party. You just need to be a delegate. And we need 10,000 of Minnesotans, 10,000 Minnesotans to lock into the caucuses and surprise these uni party people. And once you become a delegate, guess what? You get to vote for the party hierarchy in subsequent conventions. So this uni party that's dominating Minnesota, this uni party which is basically doing nothing for my well-being, 
only participated in the continuation of the fruits of scientism, which is militarism and the medical industrial complex. Four trillion dollars a year, which do nothing for my children, but enslave them to debt. Those people, we can get rid of them. You can vote for American nationalist candidates that want to eliminate our national debt, that want to move to an equity society, that want borders, that want well-being, that want to end the American empire, and that want to make America a beautiful place for the American people, one person at a time. It's less than 24 hours a year for you to affect the outcome of humanity. And if you can't and I can't put 24 hours a year, one day a year, into making a vote about how this game comes out, if we can't get it, we lost. We're going to die after we're enslaved. So that's not a very happy note to end on, but I want to show you what it looks like. We're going to go out today, and I want to thank you for joining, and I'll see you again next Tuesday and spread out the word of the podcast. We're getting new people every day. I want to pick this up, let people know that Professor Penn Podcast is a place to come. I know you. many of you come back, and I want to thank you, LW and Gabe and the people that are communicating with me. I really appreciate it. You lift me up. You give me so much hope. Work with me. Build this community. You're in. I mean, you're in on it. You're in. Let's not be half in. Let's get all in. We're going to go out with a very famous piece of work. It's called Triumph of the Will. It was uh, filmed uh, in the 1930s by a woman named Lenny Riefenstahl. Very famous. I don't even know if YouTube's going to let me play it. It might just be a big blank hole here. But I want you to see what it looks like an artistic depiction of what it looks like when the philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior takes over the heart and soul and mind of a nation. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you soon again. des sechsten Parteitages eröffne ich mit dem ehrfurchtsvollen Gedenken an den in die Ewigkeit eingegangenen Generalfeldmarschall und Reichspräsidenten von Hindenburg. Wir gedenken des Generalfeldmarschalls als des ersten Soldaten des großen Krieges und gedenken damit zugleich unserer gefallenen Kameraden. Ich begrüße die hohen Vertreter auswärtiger Staaten, welche der Partei die Ehre erweisen, an der Tagung teilzunehmen. In aufrichtiger Kameradschaft begrüßt die Bewegung besonders die Vertreter der jetzt unter dem Befehl des Führers stehenden Wehrmacht. Mein Führer, um Sie stehen die Fahnen und Standarten dieses Nationalsozialismus. 
wenn ihr Tuch einst morsch sein wird. Erst dann werden die Menschen ganz fähig sein, rückblickend die Größe unserer Zeit zu verstehen und zu begreifen, was Sie, mein Führer, für Deutschland bedeuten. Sie sind Deutschland. Wenn Sie handeln, handelt die Nation. Wenn Sie richten, richtet das Volk. Unser Dank ist das Gelöbnis, in guten und in bösen Tagen zu Ihnen zu stehen. Komme, was da wolle! Dank Ihrer Führung wird Deutschland sein Ziel erreichen. Heimat zu sein. Heimat zu sein für alle Deutschen der Welt. Sie waren uns der Garant des Sieges. Sie sind uns der Garant des Friedens. Es gibt keine Revolution als Dauererscheinung, die nicht zur vollkommenen Anarchie führen müsste. So wie die Welt nicht von Kriegen lebt, so leben die Völker nicht von Revolutionen. Es gibt nichts Großes auf dieser Erde, das Jahrtausende beherrschte und in Jahrzehnten entstanden wäre. Der größte Baum hat auch das längste Wachstum hinter sich. Was Jahrhunderten trotzt, wird auch nur in Jahrhunderten stark. Das ist unser unerschütterlicher Glaube an uns selbst. Das ist unsere Hoffnung auf die Jugend gerade heute, die stürmisch vorwärts schreiten, ein berufen sein wird, das Werk fortzusetzen, das in den Sturmjahren der Revolte von 1918 in München gegründet wurde, der ganz Deutschland erfasste und heute schon in weltgeschichtlicher Bedeutung durch die ganze deutsche Nation verkörpert wird. Denn die Wahrheit ist das Fundament, mit dem die Macht der Presse steht und fällt. Und dass man die Wahrheit über Deutschland berichtet, das ist die einzige Forderung, die wir an die Presse auch des Auslandes stellen.
mit dem Bau der Reichsautobahnen ist an 51 Stellen im Reich begonnen. Obwohl die Arbeit noch in den Anfängen steckt, sind heute schon 52.000 Mann auf den Baustellen und weitere 100.000 Mann in den Lieferbergen, bei der Baustoffindustrie, bei den Brückenbauanstalten oder sonst durch das erst beginnende Werk. Wohin wir blicken, überall wird gebaut, überall werden Werte verbessert und Werte neu geschaffen, überall herrscht seit einem Jahr reges Leben und wird auch in Zukunft reges Leben herrschen. Die Gesunderhaltung unserer Bauern ist die erste Voraussetzung für das Blühen und Gedeihen unserer Industrie, für den deutschen Binnenhandel und für den deutschen Export. Ein Volk, das nicht auf die Reinheit seiner Rasse hält, geht zugrunde. All unsere Arbeit muss von einem einzigen Gedanken beherrscht werden, den deutschen Arbeiter zu einem aufrechten, stolzen und gleichberechtigten Volksgenossen zu machen. Ich kann nur als Führer der deutschen Rechtsdiener sagen, dass da das Fundament des nationalsozialistischen Staates die nationalsozialistische Rechtsordnung ist, für uns unser oberster Führer auch der oberste Gerichtsherr ist. Und dass wir, die wir wissen, wie heilig gerade unserem Führer die Grundsätze dieses Rechtslebens sind, auch Ihnen Volksgenossen versichern können, Ihr Leben, auch Ihr bürgerliches Dasein ist gesichert in diesem nationalsozialistischen Staat der Ordnung, der Freiheit und des Rechts. Möge die helle Flamme unserer Begeisterung niemals zum Erlöschen kommen. Sie allein gibt auf der schöpferischen Kunst einer modernen politischen Propaganda Licht und Wärme. Aus den Tiefen des Volkes stieg sie empor. Und zu den Tiefen des Volkes muss sie immer wieder herniedersteigen, um dort ihre Wurzeln zu suchen und ihre Kraft zu finden. Es mag gut sein, Macht zu besitzen, die auf Gewehren ruht. Besser aber und beglückender ist es, das Herz eines Volkes zu gewinnen und es auch zu behalten. Das deutsche Volk ist heute geistig und seelisch reif für die Einführung der allgemeinen gleichen Arbeitsdienstpflicht. Wir harren des Befehls des Führers. Oh.